0: We've come to the main message portion of the service, and as always, we open with prayer. So let's do that. Heavenly Father, we're going to open our Bibles now. We're going to read your precious word that you have preserved for us through centuries. And we're so glad that you did, because when we read this word, it shows us what you're thinking, what your goals are, what your purposes are here on earth. So we know that we can only understand this by your help by your divine help through the Holy Spirit. So we pray for that now. Let uh, the Spirit open our minds and hearts to take in what we read. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know that uh, this week is going to be quite a week for our country. We know that Tuesday is election day, and uh, we've got the normal pre-election stuff going on. All of the commercials and people with the signs in their front yards and uh, all of the debate, debating and things like that, I guess it's one of the things that makes our country great because this is the way it's been for many years, but a lot of people are worried and they say, well, don't you see that this year is going to be different? This year is going to be worse And uh, especially when I talk to younger people, I try to tell them what I remember from the 1968 election. A lot of you are around in 1968. I remember the uh, Democratic convention was in Chicago. I don't know if you remember that. And Mayor Daley, uh, longtime mayor of Chicago, was in charge at that time. And I remember watching the news reports on TV of the riots taking place in the streets. Of course 68 that was the era of protesting and the hippies and all that kind of stuff and of course back in those days that was before there was a lot of reports of police brutality and police getting fired because of the things that they were doing and i remember watching the news reports and seeing the videos of police with their uh, nightsticks out in the street smashing people over the heads and hauling people off in uh, the paddy wagon. I don't know if you remember those things, but those were serious times and scary times as well. So in that respect, I don't think that, that this year is, is really unique in that respect, but indeed it is um, you know, a different type of election. All of them seem to be nowadays, especially the presidential elections. And uh, there have been threats of more rioting going on and violence and that sort of thing, and we certainly want to pray for that, and we will do that uh, toward the conclusion of the sermon today. But what do we talk about today with the election coming up and the future of our country, at least for the next four years, kind of hanging in the balance? Well, I want to take you to a passage in 1 Timothy chapter two. And oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, we will be having communion at the conclusion of the service today. So I invite you to participate in that. This is a reminder, and, and again, it's one of these tough reminders that uh, we're told about in our responsibility as Christians. And notice what Paul says to Timothy, because Timothy was living in the climactic times back in his day as well especially with regard to the ruling powers that were ruling over God's people, the early church. And this is what Paul says to Timothy, and what he also says to us. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So the main point of this section of scripture here, as they were living in, as I said, violent times, uh, crucial times, times of governmental upheaval, back in the times of the early church, certainly. But Paul kind of points out an important thing to keep in mind during these times. The main point of this text is the command to pray. That is all important, to pray. And in this passage here, Paul mentions four things Uh, that we should be concerned with in our prayers. And I think it applies to us today as Christians living in the United States with the upcoming election taking place. So let's spend a little time breaking this section down, these four verses, verses 1 through 4, and see exactly what he has to say. So he says, I urge you then, first of all, or... Other translations say, of highest importance, that requests prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. So, in other words, the first point or the first thing we should notice about this passage is that prayer in the life of a Christian comes first of all. Comes first of all. It's the most important. And we as Christians, as God's people, should be praying on a regular basis on a daily basis. And you know, there are times that we think to ourselves, well, wait a minute, it seems, it's been a while since I prayed. I need to to get back on the ball with that because I think that that's important. Yes, it's very important. Paul says it is first of all in the life of a Christian. It's more important than anything else you do. Why is prayer the most important? Why does prayer come first of all? Well, notice he says there, I urge you then. So, in other words, he's going to tell us how important prayer is based on what he just said previously. What did he say previously? Well, let's look at the previous chapter, chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Here he says to Timothy, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you might fight the good fight holding on to faith and a good conscience. And some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. So when he says in chapter 2, verse 1, I urge then, and he talks about the importance of prayer. We back up to verse 18 of the previous chapter and we see why prayer is First of all, in the life of a Christian, for your faith to stay afloat, Paul says, because he talks about faith being shipwrecked, for your faith and my faith to stay afloat, you must avoid, uh, well, you must pray, in other words, and you must avoid the things that your conscience condemns and do the thing that your conscience demands. So we need to react to our conscience, he talks about here. Holding on to faith and a good conscience, he says in verse 19. So we have to follow our conscience. God has given us a conscience. What is a conscience? Well, it's something inside of you that when you're doing something you know you shouldn't be doing, your conscience tells you, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, be very careful because you're walking on thin ice here. You're about to do or say something that you know you shouldn't be doing. And it works on the contrary, too, because there are some times where God uses our conscience to put a good thought in our mind, saying that, well, you should do something good about this. I've used the example of, you know, saying something I shouldn't have said to my wife and walking away, and as I'm walking away, my conscience (laughs) tells me, you idiot, why did you say that? You need to go back there right now and apologize. And I just do an about-face walk back And my wife will tell you, I've done this many times. I say, I'm really sorry I said that. I should not have said that. And please forgive me. And it works both ways, because sometimes she says that to me, too, (laughs) about things that she says to me. So your conscience works to correct you, and your conscience also works to prod you to do the right thing. So for your faith to stay afloat and not be shipwrecked, you must avoid the things your conscience condemns you for and do the things your conscience demands of you. And at the top of the list of things that we must do in order to keep a good conscience is to pray and to pray for other people, not just for ourselves. It's easy to pray for ourselves because we know our needs and we know our wants and we're always bringing them before God. But he says here in chapter two, verse one, I urge then, first of all, all requests, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, not just for yourself. Don't be selfish in your prayer. All God's instruction is summed up in this. Love God with your whole being and love your neighbor as yourself. Praying for others is the number one way to love them. To love them. And what makes prayer so important? Prayer, when we pray for other people, it taps the power of God on behalf of those people. They may not know God, they may be an atheist, they may be a Christian who's struggling. When we pray for them, we're opening the door for the power of God to be working on their behalf. We can try to help them physically, and sometimes that is needed, but what we can do physically is dwarfed by what God can do for them. That's why prayer for other people is so important. So if we want what's best for people, if we really love them, the first thing we should do is pray for them. And like I said, don't spend so much time praying about yourself. Let's pray about other people. It's the easiest way to fulfill the command to love others. It requires no financial sacrifice. It requires no physical exertion. It just requires some focus and truly caring about others. So in this passage we just read here in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the first lesson is, in the life of a Christian, prayer comes first of all. So we need to check ourselves. Let's take a a quick uh, Uh, survey of what we've been doing the past day or two or three or four or the past week. How many times have we brought other people to God in prayer? We just did that uh, as far as health issues is concerned as a congregation, but it's not just for 10 minutes here at church every week. It's something that needs to be going on in our hearts and in our minds throughout the week, praying for others. Now, he says here, again, chapter 2, verse 1, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Everyone. Now, it's easy. We're, We're usually thinking about those closest to us, family, friends. We have no problem praying for them. But he says, don't merely pray for the close ones to you in your life. Pray for everyone. Let your prayer extend beyond your very close group of of people that you truly love the most. And what does it mean to pray for everyone, To, to, to just go before God and say, God, bless everyone everywhere. Amen. No, it has to be a little bit more particular than that. Paul is encouraging Timothy to not limit the scope of his prayers to one group of people, family or, or, or you know your, your close friends, those around you, but open that up to people that maybe you don't normally hang out with or maybe people you don't even necessarily know. I think in our day and age, we can say, don't limit your prayers to the people in one political group or one ethnic group or one racial group, or one gender of people. Open up your prayers and try to include people that you don't normally hang out with. Maybe, in some cases, people that you don't even like. Wow, that's heavy. Praying for people that you don't like. You know, when I look over my list of people to pray for, of course, I I think about my wife, I think about our children, our our grandson, uh, you know, the church members. But praying for people that you don't like, that's going to take an extra amount of effort, isn't it? Well, yeah. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 43. Jesus went out of his way to encourage us to pray for people we don't normally pray for. And this is going to get into the political arena, so keep this in mind as we go along. It's going to pertain to election day coming up on Tuesday. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 43, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And the answer is not that great of a reward because loving those who love you doesn't take that much effort. He says, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. So God expects more of us. We need to strive for perfection. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's kind of a forgotten verse in Christianity today. Especially as we get caught up in all this political division in our country. We would have no problem praying for a fellow, you know, somebody who's in your political party, but that, the other group, forget them. I wouldn't waste my time or my breath praying for them. God says No. That's the wrong approach, the wrong attitude. Back here to 1 Timothy, chapter 2. And notice in verse 8, this is what Paul says to Timothy. I want men, this is 1 Timothy 2.8, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. I like the way it translates this in the Message Bible. This is what it says. Since prayer is at the bottom of all this, what I want mostly is for men to pray, not shaking angry fists at enemies, but raising holy hands to God. Let me read that again. Since prayer is at the bottom of all this, what I want mostly is for men to pray, not shaking angry fists at enemies, but raising holy hands to God. So you see, we as Christians shouldn't be out there in the crowd shaking fists at other people. You know, we shouldn't be out there walking through the neighborhood kicking over signs that, you know, don't represent the person that we intend to vote for, as some people are doing, I guess, in, the, in neighborhoods. We've been called on to pray, and to pray for everyone. Let your prayers embrace all kinds of people high and low, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, Democrat, and Republicans, enlarge your heart until it embraces people of the whole world. That's the kind of prayer that we've been called to to, to take part in. You know, it's very easy to get caught up in politics. It really is. And I've said before, and I'll say it again, uh, I think that we are being manipulated. You know, one thing about this human race that God created, we have a tendency to be easily manipulated. It started in the Garden of Eden when Satan came on the scene. You know, there was Adam and Eve in relationship with God. Satan came along and what did he he do? Well, he lied to Adam and Eve and he began to manipulate them. And before you know it, Adam and Eve were out of relationship with God and kicked out of the Garden of Eden. So human nature, it's kind of our makeup. We are easily manipulated. And there are people in this world and in this society who seek to manipulate people because it's for their profit. If they can get you to donate to this, or join that, or subscribe to that, or whatever, in most cases, they're making money off of us, but what they're doing is they're fear and hate mongers, and I don't know about you, but I can't watch, you know, the evening news for more than about five minutes, and I just feel my blood pressure going up. <laughs> and I say to my wife, I gotta shut this off and walk away from this, because I'm just getting so upset, I'm getting mad, you know, I'm getting this, I'm getting that. Now, you may be different, Maybe you can just kind of sit there and and take that in, and it doesn't really affect you all that much. It's more of a mental thing for you. But I just get my dander up, and I have to be careful with myself. But that's me. That's me. I'm already on blood pressure, pressure medication, so I need to be careful what I do. But we have to remember, we're not a part of this society. Do we get that? I want to turn to what Peter said in 1 Peter 2. From the time that we accept Jesus as our personal savior, we, are, we become different in God's sight in many ways. But this is one of the ways. In 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 11, he says this. Dear friends, I urge you as, and what does he call us? Aliens and strangers in this world. We have been called out of this world. Our our hope, our salvation is not in this world or anything having to do with this world. We look to God for everything. Jesus is our hope. Because we know that on the day that he returns, every problem will be solved. Every situation will be made right. So he says, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul live such good lives, in other words, be different, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Again, from the Message Bible, it says this, friends, this world is not your home. That's the way it's translated. Friends, this world is not your home. This 21st century has become the century of hate and how easy it is for us as aliens and strangers on Earth to get sucked into one group and begin to hate the other group, whatever your group may be. That's following the ways of the world. That's being dragged along with the way this world is headed toward hell. (laughs) And we don't want to be dragged along with that. We need to be careful. We re- need to remember who we are and who God has called us to be. You know, Jesus warned us in, in Matthew 24, verse 11. I won't turn there. But he warned us that most people's love will grow cold. And we're witnessing that in, in our country around us. We never thought our country could become so divided. And, you know, we've always had politics. We've always had uh, elections. We've always had political uh, gatherings and, uh, you know, conferences, and a lot of it's been on TV, but it's never been like this, where there's so much division and so much hatred, one group for the other. And like I said, now we have the threats of violence in the streets. No matter who wins, we may see violence. And who are these people? who are stirring up all this violence. Why don't you ever see that on the news where they get these people and interview them and we find out who's paying them and where they came from? You don't really get to the bottom of the story. So it's a confusing time in which we live. But back here to 1 Timothy chapter 2, we've seen so far, point number one, prayer comes first of all for us today. Secondly, we're to not just pray for people who are special to us, we're to pray for everyone. The third point that we see in this passage is that we're to pray for kings and those in authority. Now, we don't have any kings in our country today. They do in England, uh, kings and queens. But we're to pray for leaders and those in authority. Now, it doesn't say, again, we read that in verse 2. Who are we to pray for? For kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. It doesn't say just pray for leaders in one party and not the other, or to pray for leaders in your party and not your neighbor's party. Leaders are leaders in God's sight. Paul wants to emphasize that no one be excluded from our prayers, for nobody is beyond the grace of God. These rulers had two characteristics that made it hard for Christians to pray for them. So this was a tough saying in Paul's day, in Timothy's day. Paul's telling Timothy, you encourage church members to pray for all leaders. Now don't forget, in the days that Paul and Timothy lived, government was quite different than it is today in our country. We live in a uh, republic uh, democracy, a representative republic is what we live in, so we have the opportunity to vote for people, okay? So come Tuesday, exercise your, uh, your uh, freedom that you've been given and go out and vote. I'm not telling you who to vote for. That's up to you. That's your conscience. But back in Paul's days, the leaders were put over you. You had no say in it. So that's why in Jesus' life, most of his life, and uh, those who came after him, there was Herod and the whole Herod family. Herod was basically a madman. He was insane to a great extent. He murdered most of his family because he didn't want anybody usurping his political seat, his authority and his rulership. And if he suspected anybody of having a goal to take over his position, he was going to wipe him out before he ever got the chance. And you could uh, Google Herod the Great uh, on your phone or whatever and read all of his family members and others outside of his family that he put to death. There were people like Pontius Pilate, who was there at the hearing of Jesus Christ and ended up uh, washing his hands of Jesus' case so that Jesus was taken to the cross and crucified. And of course, the, the most infamous of all was Nero, the Roman emperor who, again, was quite mad. And he ended up being responsible for burning down most of the poorer city of Rome so that he could build a palace for himself. And Nero, by the way, was the man who eventually had Paul and Peter executed. Paul had his head chopped off, and Peter was crucified. So you didn't have any say as to who was ruling over you but nevertheless Paul tells Timothy you tell church members to pray for these leaders. So you think it's it's tough today to pray for the one that you didn't vote for. Well it was worse in Paul's day. You know the rulers in Paul's day were remote and inaccessible. You didn't have access as a common person, you could never get near these people. Maybe you wouldn't even see them in your lifetime, but they were ruling over you. They may be inaccessible to you, but they were not inaccessible to God. And that's why prayer is so important. You can pray to God about those ruling over you, and God has direct access to those rulers. By prayer, you can get as close as one of their personal advisors. Because God's in there with the room with, in the room with them all the time. You can't get in there to talk to them, but God is there. So think about that. Furthermore, rulers are often godless people, insensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And in our country, even though right before the election, a lot of the people running for office claim to be people of faith... But after they're elected, you never really see them go to church. (laughs) But you wonder how many times they say things like that just to get elected. But this shouldn't keep us from praying because God, who knows, may save them and bring them to a knowledge of the truth. And don't forget as well that God uses rulers to accomplish His purpose, His purpose, whether they believe in Him or not. God's in charge. God is in charge. i like to look at a couple of Proverbs here, just real quickly. Proverbs 21, verse 1. It reminds us of that. Even though a man or woman may be in office, holding a particular office, and that applies to our country today as well, it's God who is overall in charge. And actually in charge of that person, whether they know it or not. I like what it says in Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He, the Lord, directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. So rulers get into office and they think they're the big shot. God is in charge. And also Proverbs 19 and verse 21. Notice what it says here. Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in a man's heart... But it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So just because you get yourself into a political office or you get elected, well, as I said earlier, some of these people are ungodly and don't believe in God. But God is real and God is there. And it's God's purpose that is going to prevail over everything else. That ruler can only do what God allows them to do. So, again, we're to have prayer as the most important thing in our lives as Christians. We're to pray for everything, pray for everyone, rather, and we're to pray specifically for kings and all those in authority. And the fourth and final point that I'd like to bring out to you is that we're also told back here in 1 Timothy 2 that we're to pray with thanksgiving, especially for the spread of the gospel. Notice again what... uh, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're to pray for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So we should always pray with thanksgiving, no matter who's elected. Why thanksgiving? Because even a bad ruler is better than total anarchy. Even a bad ruler is better than total anarchy. And none of us want to live in total anarchy. Nero, the same emperor who would execute Paul... Still maintain the peace in the Roman Empire and in that part, part of the world. So that's why they should have prayed with thanksgiving. Nero maintained the peace in the provinces where the gospel was spreading like wildfire. So our prayers for rulers should be seasoned with thanks. And you know, this passage doesn't say pray that we could just live in peace. It's it's not about us. The main thing we pray about is the gospel, the work that God is doing of spreading the good news about Jesus Christ and how people can come to salvation through grace through Jesus Christ. So we don't pray for peace and quiet lives just so it'll be okay with us. We pray that there be peace, that we can live quiet lives so we can share the gospel with others. So we're living in an atmosphere where people could hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. It's not just for our own enjoyment, because we want the gospel to advance, just like God does. So that's why we should pray that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Because it pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved. And how are they going to do that? By hearing the gospel, So we want to live in a society, we want to live in an environment where there's not anarchy, where there's enough peace for the gospel to be preached on a regular basis and for people to respond to it. Peace is not the main thing. Salvation is the main thing. That's what we're all about as Christians. So we should pray for leaders because the conditions that they create in the country can either advance or impede the gospel. And we want the gospel advanced, no matter what. And let me tell you, the gospel can advance no matter who's president, no matter who's governor, no matter who's the representative from this area, the gospel can advance. And if that person doesn't know God as a leader, they can come to salvation. We should pray for that too, if they're not Christians. Because who knows, if they become Christians, maybe a whole lot of things are going to change for the better in our country, in our state, in our region here of Northeast Ohio. So that's why we need to be prayerful people. Don't fall into the trap of getting caught up in all of the political stuff. Don't get caught in the trap of getting into the fear and the hatred, because it's all around us. And I told you, you, you are probably different, but I can't stand too much watching that on TV because it just stirs me up. And I start feeling some of the same things that they're trying to spread. And don't forget, we're easily manipulated. That's the one thing about the human race. And God knows that, and Satan knows that, and Satan has used that. And I think that Satan is using that in our country today. He doesn't want to see the gospel spread in in America. And you know what? I think it has a lot to do with the political situation in our country. We look at countries like Africa, and people in masses are coming to Christ. They're being baptized. They're hearing the gospel. They're coming to church. They're coming to Bible studies. They can't get enough of the good news. But here in America, we're so overwhelmed with all of this political division that perhaps we're going through a period of time where the gospel is being impeded in America. Well, we want that to change and we we don't want to be a part of that negativity. And as Paul told Timothy, because they were living in climactic times as far as government leaders are concerned too, he said, the most important thing for you to do is to pray. You're to pray for everyone not just your close circle of friends and your loved ones and your family. You should be praying for people of other uh, nationalities, other races, other cultures, whatever the case may be. We should also pray for political leaders, no matter who's in office. I think sometimes maybe if the person gets in office that you didn't vote for, maybe you need to pray more. That person doesn't know God, you want them to know God. And uh, you want to live in a society and in a setting where the gospel could move forward and not be impeded. And finally, we're to pray with thanksgiving for the spread of the gospel, not just so that things will be peaceful for us and we can live out the remainder of our lives in quiet and peace. We're not about that, we're about the gospel and the spread of the gospel and God's kingdom. So as we go through this coming week, don't be fearful, God's in charge. He sent his angels to be watching over each and every one of us. Don't get involved in any rioting, okay? <laughs> I, I say that out of humor. I know none of you are get involved in any rioting, but it's one of those things where if you see trouble stirring, kind of turn around and walk the other way and get, get out of there as quickly as you can. Uh, but God is watching over us. Uh, Nothing is going to happen this coming week that God does not already know in advance and that he's not in charge of. You may say, well, you know, I, I I, I think God wants this person to be elected or that person to be elected. You know what? God can function no matter who's elected. And some of the greatest growth of the church, listen to this, some of the greatest growth of the church down through the centuries has happened in times of tremendous persecution on the church and trials and tribulations. So don't think that God just wants life to be peaceful all the time and birds singing and sun shining sometimes we have to go through difficult times because those are some of the times that more and more people are brought to Christ because they don't think about God when, when everything's good, but when everything starts to be bad, then they start thinking about God. Does God exist? Where do I stand with God? What does God want me to do? And maybe they even open up a Bible and start reading about Jesus Christ and they're brought to salvation. Like we have been sometimes times like that are necessary to accomplish God's purpose. So don't fret, don't be afraid, don't be fearful. God is in charge, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that you are in charge and thank you for reminding us about the importance of prayer, that our prayers should expand out from those we normally pray for, even sometimes praying for our enemies and people we may not necessarily agree with. Uh, you've shown us why, and we should pray with thanksgiving. We should pray for our leaders, no matter who's in charge, whether we agree with them or like them or not, because uh, we're praying for the furtherance of the gospel. And uh, thank you that you watch over it. We pray this coming Tuesday that you hold back whatever violence, injuries that may take place, and uh, just give us all courage for those who vote, to, to go ahead and vote, Father, uh, with a good conscience, praying for who they truly feel uh, follows your commands and your directives, and that's going to peace, bring peace to our country. So, Father, thank you for being there for us. And as we gather now for uh, communion, we just pray that the unity that we can come together with would be the unity that our country could come together with. But we don't know if that's gonna be accomplished in this, this age, Lord. We know that when Jesus Christ returns, he's going to bring peace and unity to the world. And that's gonna take a miracle because of our human nature and the struggles that we have. And uh, so Father, as we gather now at your table, we just pray your blessing on our congregation and thank you for the unity that comes through your spirit. It's not something that we have brought together amongst ourselves but only you can bring this unity in our midst. So Father, we're gonna have the bread and the uh, fruit of the vine here. We know that these things represent Jesus' broken body and shed blood that was necessary for us to be saved. And we just rejoice in our salvation through Jesus. So as we come to the table here, we're making a statement to you that we wanna be connected to that vine ever more closely and ever more powerfully. And we want what you give us through Jesus Christ to flow into our lives and to bring about tremendous change for the better. So Lord, bless us all as we come to the table now in a repentant heart. Lord, we're sorry for our sins that we still struggle with from time to time. We know that they're forgiven by the blood of Jesus, but help us to come forward in courage and and, uh, assurance. So Father, thank you now. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So as the music starts now, uh, we ask you to come forth to the table. Kathy will uh, hand you a piece of bread and you can go ahead and take a cup and we'll have a, a closing song in a little bit. Let's come to the Lord's table.